Hello, I'm Peter Baxter, Editor of Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology. It's a great pleasure to introduce this podcast. In it, we'll be discussing the paper, Prevalence and Risk Factors for Neurological Disorders in Children Aged 6 Months to 3 Years in Northern India, by Kumar, Barbie, Bhagava, and Agrawal, which is appearing in the April issue of the journal this year, 2013. It will be discussed by Professor Rashmi Kumar, who is Professor of Paediatrics at King George Medical University of Lucknow, Lucknow, India, who is the first author, and Dr. Amanda Langridge of the Telethon Institute for Child Health Research, Perth, Australia. Can we start with you, please, Professor Kumar, to outline the paper and its background? The study was conceived by us way back in 2005 because of a large number of children reporting to our hospital with various acute and chronic neurological problems. And this set us wondering about the community prevalence of such disorders. And when we looked at the published literature, we found that very few studies had addressed the question. And the young age group below two years was almost unexplored, uh, at least in India. Now, this age is particularly challenging because, of, on the one hand, neurological disorders may be difficult to pick up in babies and may be evolving. And yet, the plasticity of the infant brain offers a window of opportunity for remedial measures. Now, just a brief background about the study site, it was Lucknow City and adjacent rural areas of Lucknow District, Lucknow being the capital of the state of Uttar Pradesh in northern India. Now, this happens to be the most populous state in India and also one of the poorest. As with most of the developing world, we have important causes of neurological disabilities are very prevalent here including perinatal and neonatal complications, nutritional deficiencies, unsafe environment, infection, Japanese B encephalitis in particular, and less access to care, etc., etc. So we set out to study the prevalence of neurological disorders in the five domains of vision, hearing, motor deficit, uh, epilepsy, and global demental delay in children aged 6 to 24 months. We plan to screen children in the community through a house-to-house survey and further confirm the screen positive and the proportion of screen negative for the final diagnosis. We realized that we would have to develop and validate our own screening instruments as there were no composite instruments available for this age group. Now, the screening instrument that we devised consisted of five sections, one for each of the five domains, and it was parent-administered. That is, the questions were put to the mother or caregiver without actually examining the child. And this was validated in 142 children in the hospital setting against pre-decided validation criteria. We were then ready for the community survey. We obtained uh, census data for the area. We selected one block of the four uh, rural blocks of Lucknow by drawing lots. And within the block, we sampled villages. And we used a cluster sampling technique in, in which each village was considered a cluster. To study risk factors, we had another epidemiological questionnaire. And each and every household in the selected village or ward was approached to inquire for children of the target age group. And if there were any, then consent was obtained and screening instrument was administered. And the epidemiological questionnaire was also administered to the head of the family. Now, if the child screened positive, he or she was given an appointment to visit the hospital. A random 10% of screen negatives was also referred to the hospital. Here the child was examined by a physician and child psychologist who were blinded to the screening results and reference were made as needed. Any relevant investigations required were ordered with fresh consent and they were done free. 
and the child was offered rehabilitative services and the family was given travel expenses. For the analysis, we, uh, you know, the overall prevalence of neurological disorders was, and each separate domain was calculated by using a weighted method described by Shrout and Newman, 1989. An EPINFO program was used to analyze uh, by univariate and multivariate logic regression analysis to get significant independent risk factors. Coming to the results, the sensitivity, specificity, and predictive value, positive value of the instrument in the hospital setting came to 96%, 68%, and 76% respectively. We screened a total of 4,801 children, of whom 196 screened positive, and of which 190 could undergo full evaluation in the hospital, and 47 were positive for neurological disorders. A random 269 screened negative children could also be validated, of which five were positive for neurological disorders. So out of a total of 459 validated children, 52 were positive for neurological disorders. Uh, the final sensitivity, specificity, and positive predictive value of the instrument in the community came to 90%, 65%, and 25% respectively. The weighted prevalence of neurological disorders in the community came to 27.92 uh, per thousand children of that age group. Similarly, prevalence of global developmental delay was 25.99 per thousand, motor impairment was 10.7 per thousand, epilepsy 1.3 per thousand, vision and hearing defects were 0.64 per thousand each. And we studied a total of 36 risk factors, 7 demographic, 15 socioeconomic, and 16 medical. Of these, age in months, mean number of appliances used by the family, consignment is marriage of the parents, delayed cry at birth, and post-neonatal meningoencephalitis were significant independent predictors of neurological disorders. And uh, they also looked at the etiology in these 52 cases. We found that, again, perinatal asphyxia, low birth weight, neonatal illness were common causes, followed by congenital problems like microphthalmia, spinal dystrophism, deafness, cataract, and then Down syndrome, post-neonatal meningitis, and uh, hypothyroidism were the important causes, while in eight of the 52 cases, patients, no cause could be identified. Uh, yes, very interesting study. And I'm just wondering, with your screening tool, was it developed in the Lucknow district and also validated in the same district, or did you take it to other districts within India? Uh, no, Amanda, this was uh, developed in our own hospital. So it was all within Lucknow itself. And if you're wondering about the external validity, well, I may add that Lucknow just presents a part of northern India. It would be representative of a large part of northern India. So are there any plans yeah. to use your screening tool as part of a standard practice and attempt to help identify neurodevelopmental disorders earlier in, in these children? I do think one could use it in uh, various settings in northern India at least and probably in southern India as well because the sensitivity specificity remained almost the same in the community and the positive predictive value, of course, was expected to go down once it was being used in the community. So are there child health programs that could start to use this and take it back out into the community regularly and has the government perhaps 
taken it on to you? Because it sounds like a very useful tool. Uh, yes, I, I wouldn't say that the government has taken it on because of my paper, but there are programs, for example, there is a program called Janani Suraksha Yojana, which means Safe Motherhood Program. This program, the government wants that all deliveries, all births should occur in clinics or hospitals rather than at home by untrained people. So we want to institutionalize all births. So that's one thing. Then this, you know, that could take care of neonatal, perinatal complications, etc. Then there are vaccination programs in place. There are education programs for people to go and get their children vaccinated. And there are nutritional supplementation programs, iodine deficiency disorders, there's universal iodinization, salt. So such programs are uh, in place already. And so we do expect to see some result in maybe a few years down the line. So these are the kind of programs that the government is already undertaking. So how do you think the estimated prevalence you found compared with previous studies? Yes, uh, you know, so the previous studies, if you look at, some of them are not really comparable because they've used different age groups, they've used different definitions, and uh, different areas, you know, like rural versus urban, etc., Different conditions have been studied. Like, you know, there's a study by Gauri Devi et al., which says there's a prevalence of 31 per thousand for all neurological disorders. But this even, this included all age, age groups and even disorders like headache. So that's why some of the studies are not really comparable. There isn't any study exclusively on this age group. The studies that are done in various parts of India all have given a much lower prevalence as of now, except Gauri Devi, which I said mentioned, you know, which also included headache. And then studies from outside India, again, everything is much lower. Turkey, you know, it's 14 per thousand. Uh, Saudi Arabia, 6.85 per thousand. But the studies from Bangladesh and Pakistan, Bangladesh study is quite similar to our study and uh, done by Durkin et al. And they've given, if you combine the mild and severe mental retardation, then the prevalence comes to roughly something above 20 per thousand. So it's just a little bit similar to ours. The other studies from Pakistan and Kenya, both of them have reported very high prevalence of neurological disorders. But the age group is different. And, uh, in fact, the Pakistan study only talks about mental retardation. It doesn't give all neurological disorders. So, there is a problem with comparability, but on the whole, in general, I feel that our studies come up with a higher prevalence, and which would be expected in our circumstances. So, with the other studies focusing on different age groups, do you have any intention of perhaps following up these children and families when they're a bit older to see what happens with the conditions you've already identified and, and see if the prevalence changes at all in this group? Uh, no, it's very difficult to follow up the children in the community. Very difficult, you know. So we've not, we haven't yet gone in for anything like this, but 
there is another study in which uh, we are doing uh, another age group, 9 to 15 years children. So I'm working on that, but it won't be the same children. It could be a different, uh, it will be the same setting, but children of a different age. Uh, to follow these children, you would have to take so many years, you know, down the line, and you can't trace the children anymore. That's very difficult. So we are planning something on a large, higher age group in the same setting. And would you be using this, the same type of screening tool? Have you developed a new one, or is yes. this one you've got applicable yeah. to those ages? Yeah. So that's a different screening tool, but it has the same domains. We have changed both the screening tool and it has to be adapted for older children. And we've used uh, different validation criteria for older children. So that's also going to come up later, this study. So it's also an interesting thing. In older children, we're even looking at the degree of functional disability. So as you've already mentioned, because of the plasticity of a young child's brain, there's a window of opportunity yeah. for remedial measures. Are there yeah. currently any remedial measures in place for the children you identified in your study that had neurodevelopmental disorders? Yeah, you know, one of them is uh, just early stimulation programs and things like of occupational therapy, physiotherapy, speech therapy, these kind of things. Because uh, neurological disability, uh, you know, and then if, if there are epilepsies, etc., then one could give drugs. So you control the epilepsy with drugs. Otherwise, for the cerebral palsy children, you give physiotherapy, occupational therapy. Uh, these sort of things are there, but of course, I agree that they just don't fulfill the needs of the population. They're there to a very small extent, and that also in cities. In the rural areas, you know, these outreach services are very uh, poorly developed, and they really need more attention in the rural areas. So in addition to the treatments that are there and the programs you've already mentioned, what else do you think can yeah. be done to reduce the neuromorbidity in northern India? Actually, it's all uh, quite deep-rooted in poverty and ignorance. Uh, one of the things which came across was that uh, consanguineous marriages, like first cousin marriages, that could give a higher prevalence of neurodisability. One could uh, try with the educational programs directed to that, uh, you know, and then one could go ahead with programs like in the West. You have screening uh, at birth. So once births are institutionalized and one could have screening programs at birth for things like congenital hypothyroidism, um, some inborn errors of metabolism, and uh, then education about vaccination and prompt care. Somehow they are not brought to attention as quickly as it should. So all told, a lot of educational programs nutritional supplementation, and, you know, hospital efforts, training of doctors, you know, for uh, prompt neonatal resuscitation, etc. So all these things should make a difference. So because a lot of the, the measures you just talked about are educational, is there some intention 
to, or perhaps some advocacy for educational programs to go back into the community to help provide that information back in a way that they could understand and maybe reduce neurodevelopmental disorders? Yes, there are education programs about this. In fact, there's a big incentive program. People are getting paid to actually come to the hospital and deliver their babies in the hospital. So this is an incentive being given by government. Plus, there are educational programs about this and vaccination, about care of newborns. But, of course, the, a lot of it is burns and poverty. So, I mean, the alleviation also is a big, big stumbling block. It needs to be addressed. So with the incentive to come to a hospital to have your baby, are there hospitals in the rural areas that are easily accessed for those communities out there? Or is it primarily in the urban areas? Uh, yeah, there are hospitals in rural areas which are being upgraded so as to provide for uh, maternity services, etc. So there are hospitals for about every 30,000 population you have a primary health center. And there are, of course, there are private hospitals as well. So the government is actually paying even to the private hospitals to conduct the deliveries. And it's paying the woman and her family also to go to the hospital and approach the hospital for their deliveries and for the antenatal checkups. So with all, all the studies that we do, we have limitations. How have you improved limitations in other studies in your study? And what do you see as some of the, the limitations in your study that you haven't been able to overcome? Uh, well, we had our own limitations. We have tried to uh, overcome some of the limitations. Like one of the things we tried was that we didn't uh, sample with the village. We tried to uh, include everybody in the village once the village was uh, chosen. Because I do feel that within the village, if you sample, then you get higher numerator than the denominator. Because People think, oh, they know that what type of child you're looking for, and they will bring all such children to be seen by the health team. Then we also, the screening tool that we devised, we wanted to make it a parent-administered tool because often when the team goes home, the child is either sleeping or he's just cranky. So it's very difficult to just go home and start examining a child. So we thought it would be better to actually have a parent-administered tool. Then we had a two-phase design. A lot of studies are just using a single-phase design in which the prevalence will be much higher. So this uh, led to a lot of problems. We had to bring the children to the hospital. Sometimes, especially if they're screening negative and they don't have a problem, they're unwilling to come to the hospital. So we had to give them incentives to come to the hospital but the children who were uh, affected by neurological disorders, their families were more receptive and they did come to the hospital, most of them. You know, the incentive for them was to get investigations done free of cost and, you know, get more attention from everyone around so that they could and have their travel reimbursed and everything. So this was one thing. Of course, there were many difficulties also. You know, sometimes the final diagnosis is difficult in young babies because especially if it involves vision and hearing tests and, uh, you know, advanced genetic tests are not available with us. 
although we would have liked to get some of them done, but they were just not possible. Did you find that many families were happy to take part in your study, or did you have quite a few families that weren't happy to take part? Uh, no, the, uh, they were all very happy to take part. They were all welcoming us. They were very friendly, uh, very cooperative generally. But once they had to bring the child to the hospital, that was a problem. So sometimes we had to even arrange taxis for them. Uh, even then they wouldn't come. They wanted to come when it was convenient to them, when they're going to the city anyway, and then they would just uh, you know, drop by in the hospital. So these were problems, and one had to be just patient, and you know, more than one visit to the family was required to persuade them to actually come to the hospital. Even then, you know, we could not get our target of 10% of screen negatives to come to the hospital. We could only get 5 point some percent cases to come to the hospital because they were not so worried about their child and therefore they just didn't think it worthwhile to come. One problem, uh, we didn't even look for all causes of uh, new morbidity like lead poisoning or mercury poisoning. These things were not looked at. And then, you know, no records are available. A lot of times you just have no records of the perinatal uh, events. You don't have any records of vaccination either. But still, uh, so it's all based on recall, you know. But there is no other way to do it. You just have to take the family's uh, word for it. Because you did have to rely on parents' recall so much, has there ever been any validation studies to see how a parent's recall actually compares to medical records or is that not a possibility? Validation studies. But, you know, we what we found in our clinic that, you know, when you ask them that did the child cry soon after birth, was the child delayed, was there some problem at birth, then uh, some of the patients say yes and some of them say no. Now, the ones who say no are more likely to have some non perinatal cause of the problem. Okay. So, you know, like a cranial malformation or something like that. You know, so there is a correlation. There is a definite correlation between what the family tell us and the finding of, uh, you know, features on imaging or something which would suggest that there is a perinatal problem. I think we did help out quite a few of the children who actually had problems. We could reach a diagnosis, we could get their imagings done, etc., and uh, advise them proper treatment. So on the whole, it helped uh, the children. We've now come to the end of our podcast. Thank you very much indeed, both Professor Rashmi Kumar and Dr. Amanda Langridge, for giving us properly international perspective on early childhood neurodisability. Um, it is challenging, isn't it, that there are so many preventable conditions still affecting children worldwide. And from that, this work has obvious implications for national programs. I also hope yeah. your instrument or ones derived from it can be applied elsewhere in a similar positive fashion. Just to remind everyone that the article is Prevalence and Risk Factors for Neurological Disorders in Children Aged 6 Months to 2 Years in Northern India, and it's by Kumar et al. in the April 2013 issue of Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology.